Hello, and welcome to the Give and Go. I am producer Rudd, here with my boy, Soltero. What's up, guys? Guys, as you can tell, Reynoso isn't here today. He's not here. He's not here, you know? But in his absence, you know, we wish him the best. Reynoso is at an undisclosed, unmarked location. But we know that he's having fun. He's having fun. No, no, I want the viewers to know exactly where he is. If y'all didn't know, Reynoso is a New York Jets fan. That's right. Born and raised in Texas, and the man is a fan of New York franchises. I'm talking about the New York Knicks. I'm talking about the New York Jets. I don't understand it. You know, maybe he can speak on it when he comes back, but that's where he is. Nonetheless, though, I do hope he's having a great time in that beautiful city of NYC. And uh, yeah, right now, it's just me and you, producer Rodan Soltero. This is going to be a quick and dirty episode for sure, guys. So, you know, don't expect a, a long episode in this format today, but... Producer Rudd, man, great to have you on the show. Thank you. It's so great to be here. And like we said, we wishing we are wishing Reynoso the best, wishing all those New York teams the best in their endeavors. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, we're here to have some fun. You know the give and go. The give and go always delivers. So today, producer Rudd Saltero. The show is yours, man. The floor is yours. Uh, what do you got to tell the folks today here? There's so much that we could talk about, man. There's so much that happened this week. And in the Premier League specifically, Liverpool dropping points against Luton. Aston Villa losing against Nottingham Forest. That one really disappointed me. And then Arsenal losing in controversial style against Newcastle United. And I'm not even going to get into that. I'm not even going to get into any of that. And in Spain, <laughs> Atletico Madrid losing to Las Palmas. I kind of blame Reynoso for that one. I think he put a little curse on them. Real Madrid. Like, it's his fault. <laughs> Real Madrid also dropping points to Rayo Vallecano. Inter Milan continuing their really good streak in Italy. But I actually want to take the focus away from Europe today because I want to talk about the biggest match that happened over this past weekend in all of world football. And I'm talking about the Copa Libertadores final that happened in Rio de Janeiro mm -hmm. at the Estadio Maracana. Bro, take us to Brazil. Take us to Brazil. Oh, we're going to go to Brazil. And we had Fluminense of Brazil play against Boca Juniors of Argentina. Obviously, Brazil and Argentina, two fierce rivals in the football and contacts. This match was always going to be so big with Fluminense trying to win their first continental title in South America. And then, of course, Boca Juniors trying to, you know, try to, to get back to the pinnacle of South American football and trying to win for the first time since 2007. So two huge storylines going into this match. And, bro, the first thing I really want to talk about was the energy that was in this stadium. First off, obviously knowing the Maracanã and the history that it has. But, dude, through the television screen, I could feel... The energy and the passion that was displayed in those stands, bro. Wow. It was wow. ridiculous. The amount of love that you could feel, especially coming from the Fluminense fans. And dude, even before a ball was kicked, you could tell and you could see that the fans were absolutely present for this match. But the beauty of the Maracanã is that it's so big. The stage is so well set that I think it actually amplifies the weight of the match itself, bro. Because, dude, this, mm -hmm. this game felt so big. Like, I didn't even really care about Fluminense or Boca Juniors. But, dude, I actually got a little nervous before the game. I was like, <laughs> oh, shit, dude, what is about to happen? So, I, I, honestly, the, what I got from that is I need to make a pilgrimage down to Brazil, down to Rio de Janeiro, and go see a game at the Maracanã mm -hmm. because, dude, even before the match started, there was just an incredible energy around the stands. 
and the camera pans to the tunnel and the first player that i see is marcelo no way the legend marcelo and in that moment i realized there's just no way that fluminense were gonna lose Marcelo is a certified winner. The man has made a career out of collecting trophies ever since he went to Real Madrid. And then from there, we know the rest of history. Obviously, as a veteran now, he doesn't have the same impact that he did back in Europe. But just to have that presence, to have that experience. And for Marcelo, dude, he just doesn't lose. There was just, I, I just really couldn't honestly see a scenario where Marcelo loses a final. Truly, truly. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. in that moment, I was like, oh, okay, Fluminense, I don't know how, but they're going to get the win here. And then right next to him, 40-year-old Felipe Melo. 40 years old That's in a, a right starting position. That's a veteran wow. right there. And I was just like, holy shit, man. I saw that man start for Brazil 13 years ago in South Africa, and he's still starting at the highest level in South American football in a final. Absolutely ridiculous. And obviously the experience that he brings there is just is immense for this Fluminense team. But of course, you know, we can go to the younger players that I was actually really excited to see for Fluminense. I'm talking about the midfielders, Andre Martinelli. And then up top, of course, the killer, the best South American striker going into this game, Herman Cano. Mm -hmm. And of course, on the bench, though, I really wanted to see John Kennedy. I was personally, I was hoping that he could get that start from the get-go. But I understand it. Fernando Genis, the Fluminense coach, definitely wanted to balance out the team a little bit more, starting John Arias and Cano instead. I do get it. But I just think that Kennedy brings a, 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 I just think that Kennedy brings a really rapid pace to the offensive line for Fluminense, and I was a little disappointed to not see him get the start, just because I think he's so crafty, he's so skilled on the ball. I just didn't really see Boca Juniors being able to contain him if he was going to get the start. But he didn't get the start, but he will play a part in this game, and we can get to that later. For Boca Juniors, for me, it was just all about their back line. Frank Fabra on the left, Luis Alvincula, one of the most entertaining right backs on the right, and then in the middle, Figal and Valentini, who I'm actually a big fan of Valentini, and I thought they had a great game against Palmeiras. So I thought that Boca Juniors' success was solely going to be through that defensive line. And to be honest, I just don't see that much quality in the midfield for Boca. Even up top with a really old Edison Cavani, Miguel right, right. Merentiel, I just really wasn't excited to see Boca play offensively. Of course, so they did have Valentin Barco, you know, left midfielder, workhorse of a midfielder for sure. I thought he had a great performance against Palmeiras. And for me, I was looking for him to be the guy to actually produce any sort of impetus for Boca going forward in this game. So all these little player storylines were set up perfectly to just have an insane final in Brazil, Fluminense, Boca Juniors. So now let's get to this game analysis, bro, because my God, was I excited. I, I cannot, I couldn't even imagine if you were a fan of Boca Fluminense, dude, because seriously, I didn't even really care about these teams, but this pre-match buildup was just way too hype to ignore, bro. And the first 15 minutes start... And it's all Fluminense. With a ridiculous amount of possession, 82%. Absolutely absurd. But it's kind of what I was expecting, dude. And at this point, I want to take the time to really highlight the three midfielders of Fluminense. Paulo Enrique Ganso, Martinelli, and Andre are a class above Boca Juniors midfield. Wow. They completely dominated it maintain the ball really well and then just spread it wide to Keno or Arias and using Cano as a really good runner in behind Boca Juniors. 
Fluminense were just dictating the pace of this game completely. And at this point, I was just wondering, when is that goal going to come? But what's really interesting, though, and one thing that Boca did really, really well is they didn't let Fluminense really get into their defensive third. And that, that's the one thing that I can really credit Boca. Both Valentini and Figal put it in a hell of a shift in this match, especially in this first 15 minutes when Fluminense were really trying to go at Boca and get an early goal. Honestly, the back line of Boca Juniors didn't let him. And at this point, I was like, okay, shit, we actually have a really tight game here. For me, Fluminense weren't taking that many risks, but Boca Juniors were also holding very, very strong. And it ended up being a really, really tight match for the next 20 minutes because Boca slowly got back into the game. Not that they created many chances, but they at least had the impetus to get the ball a lot quicker and then hold on to it too. Because that 82% of possession that Fluminense had suddenly went down to like 60%. So Boca, Boca definitely got themselves back into this game. And those first 15 minutes, I truly thought that Fluminense might run away with it. But so credit to Boca for actually putting in really good shifts, getting physical, and getting that ball back. Right before the halftime, though. Oh, no. A beautiful little give-and-go on the right-hand side. And at, what, at this point is a Fernando Gini special with a Fluminense overload on that right-hand flank. A beautiful little give-and-go. Keno gets on the end of it, and he delivers a perfect little ball into the inside towards the top of the box to find Herman Cano with a lovely one-time finish. Fluminense go up 1-0. And dude, at this point, I truly... I lost my shit. Yeah. Because the play itself on the right-hand side, perfect, precise passing. And then Cano with a beautiful little run inside the box, peels away from the Boca defender and one-times it. Automatic at this point, it was his 13th goal in just 12 matches of the Copa Libertadores. An absolute monster in the box. And what's crazy is that going into this game, I think you always knew that Ghana was going to score. He's on a ridiculous two-year run right now in Brazil. And I want to take this moment to really highlight how insane Ghana is doing right now. 90-plus goals in, what, like 130 appearances? That's ridiculous. That's an insane wow. rate. And he's one of the few players that you could, that you could assuredly say that he's had a better career after the age of 30 than before it. It's ridiculous how good he has gotten past his physical prime because he's just nonstop scoring. Honestly, I, I can't even really name a player who has the same type of trajectory that Cano is on right now as far as like the career that he's in. And so for Herman Cano to get the opening goal for Fluminense, I truly do think it was destiny. It only made sense. He has been automatic in front of goal for Fluminense. He has scored some he scored some absolute bangers in the run in the build up up to this final. Dude, he's, and to see Cano actually get the goal and to see him just have all of that emotion, people in the stands were crying when he put that goal in to try and win their very first Copa Libertadores. Herman Cano was the guy to put it in, and he was always going to be. Going into the halftime, it's 1-0. Fluminense looking really, really good. Second half starts, and I was really curious to see how Fernando Genis was going to approach this because John Kennedy, the guy that I, I was hoping to see start, was just nowhere to be seen, still on the bench. And come that 60th minute, I was hoping that Janice would put him in. Nothing, nothing. And honestly, I, I think that was actually a misstep from Janice because Boca started to really get back into it. They had a lot more of the ball. And it's not to say that Fluminense took, the, took their foot off the pedal, but they weren't going forward as much. 
And I don't like that because when it's 1-0, there's always that chance that they could just get a freak goal and equalize it. And that is exactly what happened because Luis Alvincola took it into his own hands, cuts inside, and puts in an absolute screamer no going past okay. Fabio. And it's 1-1. Out of nothing, though. Yeah. Out of absolutely nothing. It wasn't a team play. There was no buildup. Alvincola got the ball, and he said, fuck it. Just I'm going it. in. A beautiful wow. goal from outside the box. It's 1-1. In my opinion, Boca didn't score it. Advincula scored it, bro. Like, the, the, <laughs> Boca as a team honestly did nothing to really create this chance. Advincula said, I'm here for the big moment and I'm taking this chance. It's 1-1. And then, of course, now we have 15 minutes left. Now we see John Kennedy come onto the pitch. Now we see it. But it's the 80th minute. There's only 10 minutes left in the game. And I'm just like... If he had come on earlier, I truly do think Fluminense would have already been up by two or three goals. Mm. He's too good, and Boca aren't in the greatest of form that they would not have been able to contain him for more than 60 minutes. But he's only given 10 minutes in regulation. And I really do think that's a misstep from Fernando Ginis, the Fluminense head coach. But nonetheless, he gets 10 minutes, and immediately he has an impact. Immediately. That drastic. That wow. drastic. Wow. He's, he's absolutely electric, bro. Mm -hmm. For me, one of the more exciting young talents in Brazil right now, John Kennedy. And, but he only has 10 minutes to operate. Boca survived that 10 minutes, so we go to extra time. What then later ensues in extra time can only be described with pure passion, pure passion and pure emotion. A beautiful long ball over the top, Keno, with a brilliant knockdown header. And who does it find? Oprezi Genchi, John Kennedy, <laughs> with a perfect volley, side net, and everyone loses their goddamn minds. Dude, to be there at that moment would have been insane. Oh, dude, I wish I was there, bro. I really do wish I was there. John Kennedy runs into the stands, gets embraced <laughs> by hundreds of fans. The, the security guards are trying to separate everybody, but it, it, gets, it gets a little crazy. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I don't blame him. I just don't blame him for that type of a reaction because he came onto the pitch with limited time and he scored what ended up being the game winner. Was that in the first half of, of extra time? Yeah, oh, first so, half of, of extra time. So quickly, like you said, like immediately showed like... Um, his game, uh, sorry, his role affected the game drastically. Exactly. And, and that's the thing. That's what I'm saying is that John Kennedy should have started this match because if you give him even 60 minutes, he was always going to score. His first touch is exceptionally good. Wow. And then beyond that, he's so tricky. He's so crafty on the ball. And again, Boca are not in the best of form. They would not have been able to contain him. So in my opinion, even though Fluminense ended up holding on for 2-1 in extra time, they wouldn't have gone to extra time in the first place if they had started John Kennedy from the get-go. Because by that point, when Luis Alvica maybe would have scored, mm -hmm. it would have already been a two or three goal gap. I do think John Kennedy is that good. But what's crazy about this kid, man, is that he really doesn't shy away from big moments. He did this against Internacional in the semifinals, and he does it again. It doesn't matter. I'm really interested to see this guy's career play out. I believe he's 20 or only 21 years old, wow. and he's already stepping up on the biggest stage in South America. I hope he gets a move to Europe very soon because I think no matter what team he goes to, he is going to have a very good impact. One of the more exciting and electric offensive players, I think, right now in South America. So it's really exciting to see. And just for John Kennedy to get that insane, insane goal, it was just beautiful to see.
He ends up getting a second yellow card, though, and gets sent off for the celebration, which is crazy. No. He scores the goal and then gets a red card for it, essentially. And but it's funny because none of the Fluminense players were mad at him. They were like, look, man, we get it. Yeah, you had to celebrate. Um, but yeah, they end up holding on. Wow. But, ah, dude, f- football can get so emotional out on the pitch, yeah. man, because the last five minutes was just, it was just raw emotion. There was like, it was, the tactics went out the window. Boca sent all their players forward for the last like ten minutes. Drastic measures. It's just it's drastic measures. Like yeah. life is on the line. <laughs> and Fluminense just said, "All right, well, let's defend this." Mm-hmm. They end up doing so, and Fluminense end up winning their first Copa Libertadores wow. in their club's history. And dude, Felipe Melo, Marcelo were in tears. These veterans, you know, and Marcelo, who is one what, five UEFA Champions Leagues, you know? And to end his career this way, going back home and winning it, you know, with his boyhood club, insanely, insanely beautiful. Storybook ending. It's storybook ending. And for for Felipe Melo to 40 years of age, Fabio, who's 43 as the goalkeeper, to do it for their club, it's so special. It really is so special to see. And then beyond that, they're at home. They're in Rio de Janeiro, and that what a what a crazy yeah. way to win your first one. Seriously, what a crazy way. And Fernando Genis, who's the Brazilian interim coach right now, who just hit the scene with his you know unorthodox tactics to for him to win it too. Also, just amazing to see. Fluminense gave him a chance to lead this team, and he did exactly that. Boca Juniors, I think, did as best as they could, but they definitely were the second best team on the day. Honestly, they really didn't have much going forward, as I highlighted at the beginning of the game. Cavani was really bad. I think Cavani was really bad. Uh, there's no other way to put it. Valentin Barco was poor. All the players that they needed to be good offensively were, did, were non-existent. Didn't show up. They didn't show up. Yeah. But the back line did, and that's why it was so tight for so long, because the, Boca's defense actually did show up. But yeah, offensively, Boca were really, really poor. And for Fluminense, honestly, they didn't dominate Boca, because like I said, I do think that Genis went with a little conservative type of offense to start, but they ended up getting the win. They were the better team. And dude, I'm, I'm just so happy for Cano. For Cano's storyline, for John Kennedy, who's on the opposite end of that career, who's just starting his, to get the game winner. For Marcelo, for Felipe Melo, man, like, Fluminense had a really, really special day on Saturday. And just to witness it, to be a part of it, is just absolutely insane. And if you were there, oh my God, man, like... Oh my Dude, God! I, I need to go to a Copa Live final, man. I really, really yeah. do. Like we give all need give to and go. go trip, man. Give me go trip. Give and go trip. That's that's insane. We're saying because from all perspectives, right? So from Marcelo, this is his highlight. You know, final diamond in his in his crown of trophies. Exactly. As as his career, you know, goes into its sunset period. Yet on the sunrise, you have John Kennedy, and it's crazy that the same experience, but on completely different trajectories, yes. career-wise, right? Yeah, yeah. But then also, what it means to the fans, the people that oh, were in the dude, stands that dude. day. You have fathers, mothers, grandchildren, grandchildren. You know, mm-hmm. you have so many generations waiting years, decades for a win like this, believing no son next year, no my daughter, you know, whatever. Just like, hey, we'll get him this year. Finally, it happens. And what a gift to be given, uh, you know, from the club to the city. Exactly. That's what I'm saying is that before the game even started, I could feel that. I could feel that these fans were like, Holy shit, we made it. <laughs> we're at the we have a chance. Like we have a chance here. Yeah, yeah. And they they did it. Wow. They pulled it off. Clarify me, does this then fulfill or 
negate Reynoso's prediction that the Brazilian team would win. Oh, shit, yeah. Is that, so is that this? Let's, let's bring some finality to Reynoso's prediction that he made, I believe, during the round of 16 stage of this tournament. So mm-hmm. Reynoso famously said that a Brazilian team would not win the Copa Libertadores. Fortunately, that actually ended up happening with Fluminense lifting their first title. It goes back to what I said when he made the prediction. I do just think Brazil as a league, as a country, is a class above any other South American country, just from a league perspective. Obviously, Argentina have an incredible national team, but I just do think the Argentine League, the Chilean League, the Ecuadorian League, while they can produce some good teams, I think that Brazil is just always a class above them. And... Not to say that an Argentine team can't get it because they did, right? Boca Juniors were able to get to the final. But I, I think no matter who they face, it's going to be a Brazilian team. And I always see a Brazilian team winning it at least right now. That's where we are right now as far as South American football in 2023. Brazilian well, football is just better. How would you say it affected playing home for Brazil? Being at home and Reynoso's take aside, just Fluminense as a club, I think are better than Boca Juniors. You play this game... 10 times, I think Fluminense win it minimum 9 times out of 10. I really do see them as that much better. But I think there are better teams out there, though. I I think Boca Juniors got, not lucky, but they got to this final through sheer will. Whereas Fluminense also got a little lucky, but they were a little bit more technical in their victories. Boca Juniors just kind of like brute forced it. And it can work. It obviously did work for them to get to this final. But I think once you actually face a little bit of class, a little bit of quality, I I think it's going to be tough to win it. That's why I just think that Brazil in general will always have that advantage. They'll always have the quality advantage over their South American opponents right now here in 2023. Yeah, so to finish... Congratulations to Fluminense. What a special moment for the city, for the club, for the people to lift your first continental title. It was a crazy game. A crazy game of pure emotion, pure passion, and some insane moments. And then also just very quick shout out to the Copa Sudamericana winners who played last week. We didn't talk about it. I do want to highlight that just very quickly. Liga de Quito got a very tight win in a penalty shootout against Fortaleza. They too deserve some credit here because they played a very good game, a very physical one where there wasn't a lot of space and they ended up getting the victory there. So Liga de Quito, Fluminense, congratulations as they are the two continental winners in South America.